If you are interested in the early days of Filipinos in America and their amazing contributions to cuisine, just talk to a Filipino chef. That is exactly what we do, chatting with Ronnie DeCula. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Ronnie Dacula, Filipino-American chef, business owner and caterer, and advocate on behalf of the Filipino community. Welcome, Ronnie. Hey, Liz. How's it going? So, Ronnie, why don't you tell me a little bit about your food journey and how you came to become a chef? Well, the transition from that is coming from, in the Philippines, I was a nursing school student. So from the medical career, I tried to kind of transfer that from the Philippines to here. But unfortunately, according to the school system at that time, I was told that it was not enough to transfer because it's a nursing degree. I cannot just continue because the educational systems are different. Okay. And so there are certain things, certain requirements as far as classes and credit hours that I have to have before I even reach the part where I can, or the courses that I was taking would be transferable. So I literally had to start from the beginning. They had asked me to take a GED class. And the only thing that I would say was needed was like the English composition because in the Philippines, I speak mostly Tagalog. Uh So it was a little bit hard, you know, also the fact that the whole journey from coming to the United States was... (laughs) such a whirlwind Uh and so I was really not ready to even tackle school at the time how old were you I was 18 okay I had just turned 18 when I moved okay and so you know I then did the whole GED process and I was telling at that time Mr. Boyd that look I actually I was doing my clinicals and I don't know why I'm here but I guess it didn't help my case because I wasn't speaking well enough. Uh-huh. <laughs> so fast forward to 2015, I was at LSU Clinical Lab Science when my dad passed away. And he was in the nursing home since I started UNO in 2013. Oh, no, no, actually in 2011. And then he moved to the nursing home 2012. And then... From then on, I was still trying to figure out, you know, what I would be doing. And then by the time it's 2015, in May, he passed away. My girlfriend, Erin, and her mom was telling me, look, you have been cooking dinner and lunch for us. You seem to enjoy everything and really, really, you know, passionate about cooking because I was cooking them Filipino food. And I had also learned how to cook Italian food, French food. 
And so I was getting a little bit also obsessed watching all these cooking shows and stuff. So her mom had a suggestion, why don't you try culinary school? You have some scholarship left, some, some FAFSA, some financial aid. Use that, go back to Nunez since they have a certificate program there. So why don't you try that? And so, you know, all these things like, it was so hard because I was always enthused by my medical career. You know, I wanted to save someone's life, you know, right. I wanted to give them hope. But then come to find out, I realized that that's kind of what cooking imparted in me. It wasn't unclear until I found this obsession in cooking. So, you know, I kind of chose this career because it helped me mold into who I am now and representing Filipino food, you know, all these collection of experiences. And so I also found some kind of peace while cooking. So that transition was not as rough as it would be. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And of course, you know, finding the job was the toughest part because in a lot of restaurants, especially in New Orleans, they kind of don't have time to just teach someone from zero to serving at a white tablecloth, fine dining dinner place, you know. But Chef Phil, Philip Lopez at that time at Root, Chef Marie and Chef Michael gave me a chance and took me in. And I remember this, and it was in 2016. I had finished my one year and a half at Nunez and uh, I was kind of using that as my uh, what do you call that my credit hours towards the practical course part of culinary school like an internship yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and so I told Chef Bill I said hey you know I'm not gonna be applying for a job but I'm going to be using this as my credit hours for my practicals, you know, is it, is it okay? And he said, well, you know, it's, it's jazz fest. We may need some people. So why don't you, you know, come stage first and see if you feel okay about it. And then after a dinner, that's when he was like, Hey, do you want to work here? I know you would just want, (laughs) you want to do practicals. You want to work here? And I said, Oh my God, I would love to, because I was so obsessed with molecular gastronomy at that time. So I couldn't get the science part out of my life. So right. I, I literally <laughs> focus on these, like this, a more advanced scientific aspect of cooking. And at that time he was, I think in my, he was the first or the only one that was doing such application in cooking. And in so, New yeah, Orleans. that was in New Orleans. Yeah. yeah. And uh-huh. so from that then on, I just, it's gotten even more and more and more. And, you know, I fell in love with it. And that's when cooking is now. <laughs> <laughs> to, of course, the passion into now, how can I do, apply all of these things that I learned in moving Filipino food forward? So how do you think that you are doing that? What steps have you taken? And, and why, if you do think New Orleans and 
the environs of New Orleans is a good place to do that. So, I mean, I think, uh, in my opinion, New Orleans is such a diverse culture and cuisine that I think Filipino food has a space in it. Mm -hmm. And so when I learned in the last couple of years how the ties of Filipino food and Louisiana roots has been an eye-opening experience for me. So, so you didn't learn that you didn't learn that in the Philippines. No, no. What actually happened was my my girlfriend's mom, Sandra, she was doing my ancestry uh, kind of model, and she was the one who found out. She was at the UNO library because she was she couldn't find any ties of me with New Orleans or Louisiana at all. So she was just researching, researching, and she loves genealogy. So she was really enthused in how she can find connections outside of the West and East Coast of the United States, because that's usually what you hear about. Right. And so she started reading and reading and reading. And then she found a, a few articles that she got really, really excited about because she said, hey, Ronnie, you may not have, I'm not sure yet, like actual blood ties in New Orleans, but Filipinos are the, one of the first settlers in Louisiana. And they actually have this, you know, this community and so on and so forth. And I was like, oh my God, what? And this was back in 2014, 2015, when she was trying to do this. So I wasn't quite picturing how insane that was up until the last three or four years. And so I delve into it, I researched into it, and it helped me you know, during all my pop-ups when I started it in 2017, um, I, it wasn't as far as to, it wasn't a business focus journey. It was more like an educational thing because I'm learning about my culture here in Louisiana and I was doing food and I was so into education that I thought, well, maybe I could model the things that I eat at home, the things that I grew up eating and use that as an education material to help people know more about Filipinos and Filipinos in Louisiana. So with that, with the culture and everything that kind of helped me spread awareness via different type of dinner, dinner themes. And when I was in culinary school, I was teaching my classmates like, look, you know, these are the things that actually are from Filipinos, from my people, and some certain Filipino cuisine. I was telling them that we are just as diverse as Louisiana when it comes to cooking because we were colonized by different countries. So different applications were applied in certain dishes in the Philippines and they were in love with it. And so I thought, okay, maybe I could do this more often. So, so tell us, tell us a little bit about what some of those things are, some things that people do in New Orleans that really have been influenced by Filipino heritage in Louisiana. So one of the biggest things is shrimp, right? So, and, and crawfish boil. So I noticed when the very first time I was invited to a crawfish boil, 
my thought was, of course, I was very, very homesick. And I saw this elaborate table with mounds of crawfish, sausage, potatoes. And I said, wait, are they doing Kamayan? <laughs> they were eating with their hands, right? And so, and it's such a community. It's a communal table. Everybody's sharing food. And I said, wow, okay, so... So tell this people what a Kamaya is. So that All right. So Kamayan is a, a, a dinner setting, usually in a long table laid out with banana leaves. And on top is different food that Alola, Tita, Lola is grandma, Tita is auntie, uh, every, and my mom, of course. And everything that they would have cooked, they would put it in, the, in that banana leaves in the middle. So everybody would be lined up, seated, or sometimes standing, depending on the setting, the event, you know, because when it's fiestas and beaches, it's usually like a standing kind of setting. And they would have this food, they would have lechon, which is a whole pig. So if it's something celebratory, they would have the catch of the day. I remember when I was in the province, you know, everything that they would have caught that morning, it would be laid out in that banana leaf. And so you would then eat all these things with your bare hands. And, and you ate a, it communally. Yeah, very communal. Like you would literally ask the person next to you or the third person across from you and say, hey, can I have some of that fish? And they would literally hand you the fish to your hand. And that is the essence of what kamayan is because you're using your hands with eating you're using your hands by sharing the food that you both are sharing and kamai is hands mm -hmm. so kamayan is the act of eating in that table and you know some sort of community eating <laughs> okay and so that is like a crawfish boil right exactly and I didn't know about the dried shrimp industry when the more, you know, until I read more of the historical things that I learned from her mom's research and the things that I read and from Randy Gonzalez as well and through the show that we did recently. Okay. Yeah. So what show are you talking about? Oh, so we were in a in a show HBO takeout with Lisa Ling, where she was showcasing uh, Asian American Pacific Islander culture via food. And one of the things that was really important about that show is that she was highlighting the, the, the Asian culture that is not usually found in certain places. So with here, when they did the Louisiana episode, called Hala Hala, I think is the first episode. It's, it's from Louisiana. So different episodes are, you know, Koreans in Virginia, not to spoil anything, <laughs> you know, it's very, very interesting. So the show was highlighting Louisiana's, Louisiana and Filipinos connection when it comes to food and culture from where it all, be, when it all began. And so, and how it is now, how are Filipinos, you know, living within the community and before or after knowing the fact that we have, we are deeply rooted in Louisiana. 
So I think it's always interesting when I talk to people about San Malo, which mm-hmm. was the first Filipino settlement in America. Yeah. Most people are totally unaware of it, especially people outside of Louisiana. Yeah. But it's also true since I come from the Sicilian immigration, the sort of massive immigration that happened over the turn of the 20th century, uh, tens of thousands of people from Sicily came to Louisiana and to New Orleans in particular. People outside of New Orleans don't know about that either. They think about Sicilians just in say New York and New Jersey or maybe in San Francisco. And so I, I think it's so interesting how little all of us know about the immigration patterns and the true diversity that we have in, in Louisiana. People think, oh, it's French, but it's so much more. Yeah. It baffles me still. And I tried telling my mom about all of this, about how how I used to think that when I was looking outside that plane, you know, thinking where my dad had brought me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard of Louisiana. I've never heard of, I don't know what the place looked like. I mean, my dad has been here for a very long time. I just never, I was never really just in- interested, you know, what or where he is. And I thought, you know, now it it couldn't have been any better because, you know, I was like, wait, why St. Bernard? Why not even New Orleans? You know, why not in the city proper? You know, what is this? And all these questions are being clear, much clearer and clearer by the day with knowing how important Filipinos are in Louisiana fabric as far as culture and food is concerned and St. Malo being near to where I live I live in St. Bernard Parish so all these things are just lining up and I was like okay well this is the right place then (laughs) (laughs) it's not just about the fact that they also eat rice anymore Oh, yes. That's you just know. such one small, small similarity. Yeah. Well, that's the only thing. I couldn't find a, any kind of comfort into why. It's always why. Why am I here? Why is this the place? You know, why not with my aunts in California, you know, where all Filipinos are, where our Filipino community is. And, you know, I was like, wait, we do have a community here. And not just Filipinos, you know, the, the people that I've lived with, that I was friends with, in class with, worked with, it's, they played an important role in my life now. So I, now I'm very, very appreciative about it. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the exhibit that's going to happen that opens with a special preview on October the 1st that's going to be at the SOFAB Research Center at the Nunez Community College in Chalmette, Louisiana. You're helping us with that. So what, what is it that we will learn when we're looking at the exhibit? So I... I'm excited about the exhibit. 
you know, the moment I saw the things that, you know, we are going to be presenting all these things that a lot of people are going to be learning. You, you know, they're going to, of course, find out, you know, the who Filipinos are, what Filipinos do when it comes to with food, right? So we have all some of these things that involve harvesting and cookeries and with all these artifacts, but at the same time, learning about history, the roles of Filipinos that, you know, Filipinos played in Louisiana culture. And a lot of it is also about not just who we are, but who we are going to be as well. For, you know, I, I find that the, I, I don't know why I'm blanking now, but I'm, I'm trying to, to think about, because when I saw one of the things that uh, really struck me was the the putubong, right? The yes, yes, the, the steamer. I remember yes, yeah, and how traditional Louisiana is, and that equipment is also something traditional in the Philippines. It celebrates something. So, I think that this exhibit also they will find out they will find something that is worth celebrating for and. You know, I, I don't, I, you have to be there. And <laughs> I'm really excited, you know, for everyone to see it. And we're also going to be displaying recipes, right? Recipes of, right. Our, of our families, the things we wanted to share and the stories behind it all. And I love the idea of the tables that mm-hmm. will have a dish mm-hmm. and then all the components of the dish spread yes. around the table. Yeah, I think that that's going to be very illuminating for people to see that many, many of the same kinds of things that are considered traditional Louisiana are, yeah. are so that there's so much to connect with. It's not, it's not some kind of foreign thing. It's just the same. And yeah. that's the thing that I love about food, that food just shows us how much the same we all are and not how different we are I just think that's the most exciting discovery yeah and you know now that you say that it also helps with because there are something that we Filipinos don't quite discuss a lot when it comes to recipes and dishes and so with with that part of the exhibit it kind of helps us understand that there is no such thing as, you know, an authentic something. So, so, right. So the discussion of the adobo, right. Everybody has their own versions of it and not just uh, a family thing, but it's a regional thing. Mm -hmm. So certain adobos from different parts of the Philippines are going to be different because of the ingredients, because of the um, the application in cooking. You know what are what were they used to back then? Now what they have available, 
And, and so and who and who might have who might have also influenced it differently in this part of the Philippines versus that part. Yeah, exactly. And so with that, it kind of helps us be in a in a safer space where we can discuss that. Okay. Wow, okay, well, you're right. My adobo isn't the first adobo. My adobo isn't this, you know, all these claims of, you know, certain dishes is not going to be good if it's not this certain person who made it. Yes, yes. Because, you know, and part of the reason why I love what I do now and I'm, you know, I'm excited to do with y'all is to help people more be um, educated in a way that at the same time in learning about respecting people's um tradition but also being open into knowing that things are done differently and that's okay because with with filipinos you know they are a stickler with and i hate using this word authenticity mm-hmm. that it's not authentic when it's this when it's not done this way you know and yeah so we say the same thing about gumbo. The gumbo that you eat at my house is going mm-hmm. to be different from the gumbo I eat at your house. Yeah. But it's still gumbo. I yes. recognize it as gumbo. You recognize my gumbo as gumbo. And that is what connects us, that we make gumbo. It's never going to taste exactly the same or be exactly the same because different people did it. And so it's always going to be different. And it's not like opening a can where it tastes the same every time you open the can, you know, it's not like that. And so there is no way that you can say this is right and you're wrong because there is no right or wrong about it. No, there's none. There's no original recipes. And, you know, my last one, when Recently, we, me and Aaron went to Miami and New York, and we've met with younger and older Filipino chefs. And, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of opened this discussion of, you know, how do you feel about, you know, certain dishes? How is it being represented? How it's being done? And, you know, I found that talking with, you know, the, our older Filipino chefs in these places, they, they've they are mad. They are sickened <laughs> sometimes with the things that a lot of us, you know, raise in the Philippines or not raise in the Philippines, cooking Filipino food. Mm-hmm. And I have told them, you know, you have to understand that some of these Filipinos or Filipino Americans do not know, they don't have the palate for what we had being mm-hmm. raised in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. You have to understand that what they're doing is, is also, it's not, it's not just assimilating, but it's moving it forward. So what I have done with, you know, when, when I would be cooking Filipino food for my clients and my diners, it's not gonna be, you know, the traditional but also know that I am honoring those traditions. 
-huh. you know, certain ingredients. I, you know, I scour and find all these certain ingredients that has to be right. But uh -huh. at the same time, it doesn't have to be cooked a certain way. And I, yeah, and it's nice. So now I created this space that we can discuss, look, you know, there is no right or wrong, like you said. Uh -huh. There is only good food, and uh -huh. that's only gonna bring us together and forward. And it's also true that 25 years from now, if you go back to the Philippines for a visit, mm -hmm. the food is gonna be different there too, because yes. it's changing there. And that's the part that people forget. It doesn't get frozen just because you moved here and now it's frozen. It does. That's not what happens. Yeah. And then the food just continues to change because there are new influences in the Philippines and new things that are happening there. And so it it is it is fluid food and eating and recipes are social inventions. And mm -hmm. so we're constantly tweaking them every time we make a recipe or yeah. whatever it is, even if we aren't following a recipe. Yeah. And I think that that's the part that people forget. They have a nostalgia about whatever it is they remember, yeah. but nothing, nothing actually stays the same. No, no, not at all. And, you know, people would tell you, a Filipino people would tell you that it's, you know, when you ask them, well, how did you do it this time? It's like, it's getting better and better and they can't tell you, but they, it's because they're getting inspired watching all these shows and finding <laughs> out certain ways that, oh, wow. Okay. So it's easier for me to do it this way. Why don't I just do it this way? Why have I been doing it? Not wrong, but you know, inefficient. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, no, I, I think it's really true. And I think that if you are cooking and you go and eat somewhere that mm -hmm. you haven't eaten before and it strikes you as wonderful, you're going to unconsciously even take away something from that that is going to change your cooking too. Yeah. And uh, sometimes you're aware of it and you say, oh, isn't that brilliant? I'm going to do that. But sometimes it's not that obvious. It just, no it just seeps into your skin or something, you know? Yeah, and it, inspiration strikes every day. And for me, every time I go to eat at different places, I would, I would tell Erin, <laughs> tell her, um, okay, I should probably do this when I make this. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And so that's what the kind of Filipino food I cook now, you know? Mm -hmm without dis destroying it, what my grandma would say, <laughs> I would be, you know, applying certain things that would make things more efficient, just as good, but differently. Right. Yeah. You know, and I love that. I love that. I love that too. I just think the idea of, of sharing with somebody else and then learning something from them is just very, very exciting. And I love the fact that the Kamayan um, is similar to the way that we eat. And of course, I remember in, in my life before we had crawfish boils, because crawfish boils were something that happened in Cajun country because the crawfish farming hadn't been developed yet to make 
it easy to get crawfish in the quantity that we do today here oh. in New Orleans. And so we did that with shrimp and crab instead of crawfish. Today we do it with crawfish, but before we did it with shrimp and crab. Same thing, newspapers on the table instead of banana leaves. You boil everything up, you throw it on the newspaper and everybody's up to their elbows in, you know, crab juice and shrimp <laughs> juice, you know, and you just pop it in your mouth and there are little kids with you. And so you're peeling for them because they can't do it yet, but they want to eat it, of course. And people take away the mountains of shells <laughs> and get rid of those off the table so that you have more room for your elbows and such. But yes, yep. I mean, I remember growing up with that and it was just wonderful. And sometimes there'd be somebody on the side shucking oysters while you were eating and you'd get up and go get some oysters and, you know, just tip them back into your mouth and then go back to right. the camp and stuff. Oh yes. I remember that. And then crawfish has kind of taken over mm -hmm. um, and we do a lot of crawfish boils, but you know, when the season is right, a good shrimp and crab boil is a pretty good thing too. And I remember you'd pull open that crab and then in the little corners where the pointy parts are on the ends, uh, edges of each of the each side of the crab, yeah. stick a knife in there and mm -hmm. get all the fat out and all that roe yep. that was in there and spread it on a piece of French bread or a cracker, yes. or just pop the whole knife in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you said that, you know, because Filipinos would then just put rice on that top shell. Oh, and yeah. sop up all the juices and everything, and sometimes make fried rice out of that crab fat. Yes, yes. And so, yes. you know, it's just the carb is going to be different, but it's the same way, it's the same style. And yeah, I, when I learned about that in, and I think it was a Baltimore episode of a travel show where I saw a lot of crab and I said, oh, they eat Kamayan too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting. I, I was in, in Germany and the, the people had hamburgers in my honor. So everybody got a hamburger on the plate. And all of the Germans got knives and forks and they ate the hamburger with the knife and fork, except me, <laughs> I yeah. picked up the hamburger <laughs> and because they don't eat with their hands. Mm. And so, and I thought there's something very sort of sensual about eating with your hands. That's really quite different than using a knife and fork only. Yeah, I I will never, yeah, I would always, and I told Erin this, you know, when, when, and if we have kids or something like that, I would, that's definitely something that I would impart is eating with your hands. Nothing is, nothing beats the connection with food when you eat it with your hands, right? It's the same thing as just eating a fruit, you eat it with your right, hands, right? What's right. eating a dish with your hands, you know? Yeah. And with here, you already eat crawfish with your hands. So this is nothing different. <laughs> right, right. So Ronnie, I want to thank you so much for this conversation. I do want to remind people October 1st, 
that if you're in New Orleans or in the area, please come by in the afternoon to the SOFAB Research Center where we're going to have this wonderful exhibit uh, in honor of the Filipino community and it's Filipino Louisiana. And yes. also because it is Filipino Heritage Month. So it's also celebrating the opening of our research center. All those yes. things are happening I'm together. So excited. So I excited. I'm I'm just I'm I appreciate you all too because you know, as an alum and a resident of St. Bernard, that this makes me happy and I cannot wait to do more work and help and just yeah, all Thanks. these exciting things. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.